Good morning again. Uh, so today we are starting a new sermon series called the Five Practices of Fruitful Congregation. Uh, it is this book. Some of you are familiar with this and some of you have uh, read this as well. Um, on a Sunday morning back in the spring uh, before the world as we knew existed, I stood here uh, and I made a crazy statement. I said, I want 100 people uh, to be part of this uh, uh, small group study. Uh, and, uh, and one of our church members uh, came up later and said, you know what, Pastor, that's a crazy goal you have. You know what, we will pay for those 100 books uh, if you want to order so that no one has an excuse not to be part of this study. So, and we were, we were getting really close to hitting that 100 mark um, with uh, our church members, and, uh, and then COVID hit, uh, and uh, we had to stop our uh, conversations around uh, five practices of fruitful congregations. A few of us continued to have those conversations, but it was not as well attended uh, as we had hoped for. Uh, over the summer months, pastors uh, Joanne, Cindy, and I were planning our uh, what are we going to preach about for the next, for this coming year. And we felt uh, really convicted uh, that we need to go back to this book um, and talk about the five practices of fruitful congregations. We want these practices uh, that are listed in this book uh, by Robert Schneese, Bishop Schneese, um, as part of our identity, our DNA, uh, that these practices bleed out of everything that we do as a church. Uh, some of you might ask me, why do we need to embrace these principles? Uh, if, you know, why do we need these? Uh, to this, I want to say, if we don't have a guiding principles or goals, we as a church, as an organization, are not going to be cohesive, and we're going to be running in all sorts of directions. So, um, so for our church, we're going to be hanging on to these principles uh, for a while. These five principles, so that we can, so that we can be the church that God is calling us to be. A mentor of mine asked this question. Um, to me and that has haunted me for some time and continues to haunt me as well. He said to me, Johnson, uh, this, he is, he's a very wise man. He looked at me very lovingly and said, Johnson, finish this sentence for me. Come to my church because. He said, what are you inviting people to experience at your church? Come to my church because. Try to finish that sentence. I fumbled. I didn't quite know because I was not ready for that question. And I kind of said, well, uh, good singing, uh, beautiful choir, people. Um, scratching my head. And I said, good-looking pastor? And he said, uh, hold up there. You really think highly of yourself. So I said, but anyway, like, try to answer that question. Come to my church because... Come to my church because why? How would we answer this question? How would 10 people answer this question, come to my church because? How would 100 people answer this question, come to my church because? How would 100 people who call Mount Hope their home answer this particular question? Come to Mount Hope because... 
would all their answers be same or would they state 100 different things? What does our corporate identity look like for us? It matters, friends. It absolutely matters what our DNA, what our identity looks like. I was leading a visiting session for, um, for a church um, leaders. Uh, most of these church leaders were uh, probably in their 60s, uh, an older congregation. And I was talking to them, and I, and I, and I asked this question to them. And I said, uh, can you describe Google to me? They were said, what do, you, what do you mean, describe Google? And I said, no, like when you open the internet browser and you type in Google, what do you see? And all of them. Uh, there were about 12 of them there, um, and all of them exactly described what Google is. They said it's a white screen with the words Google. And an 80-year-old person said there's nothing to it. It's Google. And many marketing experts say the reason Google um, has done so well as a search engine is because of its simplicity and its consistency. It was simple. That's what Google was. It never changed from that white screen when it started out in the 90s, almost 30 years later. It is still the same. It has not changed. The description that an 8-year-old person describes Google is exactly the same as a 15-year-old teenager who's extremely tech savvy. They both describe the same way. It's a white screen with a bunch of letters that spell Google, and that's it. Friends, I think we need to learn from Google, and we need to establish our identity as a church so that an 80-year member at Mount Hope and a 13-year-old kid can describe Mount Hope the same way, that we are consistent in our messaging and what we are as a church so that we can grow God's kingdom we as a church are going to embrace these five principles and we will do them, we will live into them and you will be sick and tired of me and all the pastors talking about it. And these five principles are this, radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking missions, and extravagant generosity. Today we are talking about radical hospitality. I feel like sometimes I need to say this phrase, this is a true story when I'm telling a true story, but trust me, I'm a pastor, I don't lie, I don't want to lie. But sometimes I'm just compelled to say, no, this really happened, this is a true story. So that is one of those occasions, this is really happened. This really happened, this happened in a church, it was actually my friend's wife, so I've not read it in a book, I know these people. It happened to my friend's wife, and it happened at a United Methodist Church. I'm not going to give any identification as to where this church is located uh, or who the pastor is. Uh, I don't want to name the church in any way, but this really happened. This really happened. It was a typical Sunday morning. Uh, people slowly started to come into worship. People were sitting in different places. My friend's wife was visiting this church. Uh, she was nervous, so she went and sat in the sanctuary. The sanctuary could hold about 250 people or so. It was a, quite a large sanctuary. And as our people are trickling in, um, 
the church was still empty, maybe about 50 or 60 people in that, in that church that Sunday morning. And my friend's wife, who was anxious, uh, didn't know what to do because she was a couple of minutes early. She sat there, and she started reading the bulletin. And then there was a tap on her shoulder. And uh, my friend's wife looked back, and there was a woman in her 50s. Uh, she looked at this woman, and she said, um, you're sitting in my seat. And my friend's wife thought that she was joking and wanted to start a conversation. So she responded to this other lady who was tapping on her shoulder and said, oh, hi, I am, and introduced herself. To which this woman who was standing next to her said, you're sitting in my pew. You need to move. My friend's wife, needless to say, never went back to that church. And then the next day, my friend, uh, dear guy, he called the pastor the next day and said, hey, I want to let you know this is what happened to my wife yesterday at your church. To which the pastor responded by saying, well, our church members are really friendly. See, friendly is not <laughs> a, a good word. <laughs> Because mostly we're friendly to the people that we know. The biblical mandate that comes to us from Romans 12 is to practice hospitality. Being friendly is not a biblical principle. But practicing radical hospitality is a biblical principle. I think the reason my, I think the reason why this person told my friend's wife to move out of her pew and sit somewhere else is not because this individual was filled with malice, but rather I think she did not have a good theology, a good understanding of God as to who God is. See, the reason we are called to practice radical hospitality is because it is rooted in the Bible. I want to share with you three scriptures this morning that talk about radical hospitality. One is from the Old Testament. One is from Paul's writing that was read to us this morning. And the last one uh, is from the Gospels. In Deuteronomy 10.19, we read these words. Deuteronomy 10.19. Love the sojourner. Therefore, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Here the word sojourner can be interpreted as a stranger, a foreigner. Here the mandate is for us to love the stranger. The person who we know does not belong in our space. We are called to love that person. We are called to love that person that is new to Mount Hope. Why are we supposed to love this individual? Because we are never to forget where we came from. The people of Israel uh, were God's chosen people. God chose Abraham, and God told Abraham, From you I will make a great nation, and I will give you land. And that was a promise that was there. The reason God wanted to bless Abraham is so that the entire world would be blessed through, his, uh, through the descendants of Abraham through Jesus Christ. But 
these people, these Israelites, they were once strangers. They were foreigners. In Exodus 1, we read, uh, this is a statement that the Pharaoh is making in Exodus 1.10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, the Israelites, lest they multiply. If a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, let us set taskmasters over them and afflict them with heavy burdens. See, the nation of Israel lived in a land that did not belong to them. And they were treated poorly by the Egyptians. They were strangers in a foreign land. And the Egyptians made sure that they knew that they did not belong there. And they laid heavy burdens on them. What is remarkable about our God is our God is not a God of vengeance, but a God of mercy. Look at verse uh, 19, Deuteronomy uh, 10, 19 again. Love the sojourner. Love the sojourner. For you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. Love the stranger. God is saying, remember. Remember that you were a stranger. And remember how that felt when people ill-treated you. When they put those heavy burdens on you. Don't do that to those who are strangers, but rather love them and care for them. Do not inflict pain on another person who you feel does not belong in this land. Never forget that feeling. Remember when you were a stranger, and that was not a good feeling, make sure you don't inflict the same pain on somebody who is new to your community who is new to your land, who is new to your church. I was told this story by Bruce Montag, one of our church members here. He said that he came to uh, our church. They had a lot of family connections here at Mount Hope, and they worshiped, and they really felt like strangers in this church. And then Bruce recalls the story of Pastor George. Many of us remember Pastor George. He said that Pastor George actually sat, sat with Bruce and Barb, and they talked with each other. And Pastor George made them feel like they belonged at Mount Hope. After that conversation, they never felt like they were strangers here. See, Pastor George showed to Bruce and Barb what it means to love the stranger. Pastor George could have been talking to anybody because everybody loves hanging out with Pastor George. But that day he chose to go meet with somebody that he didn't know and to chat with them. Friends, we are called to model that love. And that is from the Bible. The next theological reason for showing radical hospitality comes from, to us from reading this morning's scripture. Let me paint this picture of what church, the Roman church looked like for you. This was a church that was diverse. They were Jews, they were Gentiles, they were free people, they were slaves, and all of them were trying to figure out what it means to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no church background. They were all coming together with their own understanding of God, religion, philosophy, and different things. See, uh, the book of Romans, when you read them from back to uh, the entire book in its its entirety, it is a pretty 
theologically dense book. There are some really confusing things that are there. I still, even to this day, I scratch my head every time I read Romans. And the reason Paul is writing such a dense theological uh, letter is because those were the questions that were being posed in that Roman church. They were asking those questions, and so Paul is writing to them and explaining to them how the church works, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, and like about there are so many different things uh, in that book. But this is how Paul says that we are called to be a church. Despite of that heavy theological discussions and all that, here's how he breaks it down. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual favor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is what love looks like. This is what church looks like for us. We are called to love one another. We are called to hold each other about ourselves. We are called to love the stranger. When I think about the story that I shared earlier, um, about this person who said to my friend's wife, you're sitting in my pew. I think this individual loved her church. She had a sense of belonging there. She belonged to that church. She viewed her church as her family. There's that sense of devotion and that commitment that she belonged to that church. But I think what she forgot was how to love the other. How to love the stranger. Because love, friends, is not a phrase, but love needs actions. We need to love the stranger with a sincere heart. You can't fake it. We have to be devoted to the other, to those who are new in our church. And we need to honor them about ourselves. That is what we are called to do. This is how we are called to be the church. We are to honor another about ourselves. That is hard. Especially when you feel like this church is yours. And you belong here. You know where to sit. We are to honor the stranger about our own self. That is how we are called to be the church. Finally, I want to share with you from Matthew 25. This is the parable of the sheep and goat. We're going to be preaching about this in a few weeks as well. But, but there's one thing that I want to sh uh, sh share with you. Here is Jesus separating the sheep and the goat. And he kind of tells the sheep what they did. And he tells the goats what they didn't do. One thing that Jesus tells here is, for I was a stranger and you visited me. That you cared for me when I was a stranger. 
And then he looks at the goats and he says, For I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. And then later Jesus says, When you've done it to the least of this, you've done it unto me. Here Jesus is saying that Jesus shows up as strangers in our church. See, Jesus might be walking in to these doors in a few weeks from now, and he could be that stranger. And how are we going to welcome that stranger? How are we going to run into Jesus, who might be a stranger amongst us? I want to end with this story. Uh, this is Karen Owsley. Um, I'm going to embarrass her a little bit here. Uh, a few months ago, um, uh, last year, actually, we were having a, a baptism. And whenever there's a baptism that happens, uh, there are a lot of guests that come in, a lot of strangers who come into our church. And they kind of came in and they sat uh, because, uh, you know, they just came and sat wherever they needed to sit. And the choir was supposed to come in, and Karen is part of the choir, and she kind of came outside and saw that where these individuals were sitting was where the choir usually sits. And Karen looked at her, um, kind of observed the situation, and went back to the choir and told them, you all need to sit wherever you find a seat, because we are not telling our guests to move from us. That is radical hospitality where we change, where we sit, where we do things differently because our guests are here in our church. And that day, just maybe, Karen might have ran into Jesus in our sanctuary because she welcomed strangers and she made sure the choir didn't disturb our guests who are here. That is what radical hospitality looks like for us. So friends, in a few weeks, we're going to be opening up our, our worship service. There are going to be a few things different. There are going to be things that we are going to be our call to do differently. But I hope and pray that we will show radical hospitality for everyone who walks in these doors. One of the practices, um, one of the things that this book talks about is that after the worship service is over, when you walk into the parking lot, make sure you turn around and talk to somebody that you don't know. Say, welcome, thank you for being here. And maybe that person can say back to you, oh, I've been coming to this church for the past 30 years. And that's okay. We're still called to be, to show radical hospitality. Amen. Will you pray with me? A God who calls us to love the stranger amongst us. God, help us to show this hospitality, radical hospitality to everyone who is part of our community, who worships here. God, we pray that you would be present and help us to run into you through a stranger. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.